Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. And today Thanks. I want to attack one of the one of the hardest truths society has a hard time understanding and accepting. And it is this. All life is sacred. All life is sacred. Which means set apart for a purpose by God. But before I get into that discussion, there's a couple things I need you to understand. I can't discuss the sanctity of life, or as it were, speak against abortion if I can't prove that abortion is murder. If abortion isn't murder, it's not sinful. But the fact that it is, and I will prove that to you, but what is murder? Murder is the willful and wanting taking of another human life by a human. That is murder. So let me identify and then explain later. Abortion is murder, and God stands opposed to murder. One of the commandments, Exodus 20, 13, thou shalt not murder, is not a gray area verse. That is very definitive, in fact. So I'm clear, just so I'm clear, abortion is murder. But let me also be clear about this. The God that we serve is a God of redemption. This is not a condemnation conversation. This is a conversation, hopefully, that will convict and empower you to have conversations somewhere else. The same God that extended grace and mercy to me for being a whoremonger, for being a drunkard, for being a liar, is the same God that will extend grace and mercy to someone else, even if it includes murder. We serve a God that loves his creation enough that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life and needed to because according to the next two verses, we were judged already. And so two things, abortion is murder, but God is redemption. And the final thing I want to tell you before we get started is where Launch Point Church is. We are a pro-life church. Unashamedly, a pro-life church. But let me explain to you what that means. That doesn't mean we're a pro-birth church. That means we're a pro-life church. From the moment of conception to the moment of 90-year-old natural death, We are a pro-life church because we believe all life is sacred, set apart for a glorious purpose, and that purpose is to glorify God, which means we don't stop engaging people or helping people or talking to mothers or walking alongside mothers. When a child is born, we walk along, or when the decision to allow them to be born is made, We have to be the village that comes alongside of them and say, what do you need? How can you be loved? Because, you know, a lot of these people that are making decisions to abort are making decisions based on 
their understanding of what they're capable of. And they may not be able to take care of a child, but let me tell you who can take care of a child. This hundred people in this room can take care of a child. The hundred people in this room can babysit a child while mama goes to work. hundred people in this room can make a meal for a mama when she's struggling, when she's hurting. We're pro-life here. We're not pro-birth here. Does everybody understand the difference? All right. Why? Because the Bible repeatedly tells us to take care of those who can't take care of themselves. Let me read some of these verses to you. Proverbs 3, 27 and 28 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. That means those who are in need of it. When it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will get it when you have it with you. If you have it and they need it, we're obligated to respond in kindness and graciousness and mercy because that's how we were responded to. And so in James 1.27, it says this, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit, everybody say visit, orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, if you'll actually get into that text, visit doesn't mean knock on their door and say, hey, and then leave. That does them no good. To visit means to take care of the needs of someone, to visit them, to ensure they're provided for, to care for them. Our responsibility is to provide for and care for those who can't take care of themselves. Widows and orphans are two of examples of those people. You know, people, many of us look and we want to read the, the Bible black and white and say, well, they're not a widow and they're not an orphan. It's an example of people who aren't capable of taking care of themselves. Listen to the spirit of the word. Spirit of the Word says, if you have it, ensure that the people around you have what they need. And the church has forgotten this responsibility. You want to know why abortion clinics exist? Do you want to know why social government, social services exist? Because the church stepped out of those spaces. And that space is a vacuum. And so as the church stops taking care of the elderly, as the church stops taking care of young mothers, as the, earth, as the church stops ensuring that young families have what they need, guess what happens? The government, who's always going to seek to find a bigger, better, more prominent, kingly place in your life, is going to come in and absorb itself into that vacuum. And the church has allowed it to happen. It's time for the church to kick the social services program in whatever form they have outside of the vacuum that we should be existing in. It's our fault. People say, man, if so-and-so would just do such and such. Well, maybe if we would humble ourselves and pray and be obedient to the Word of God, God would heal the land that we live in. All right. I got a little sidetracked there. But the fact of the matter is these problems that we're having to discuss right now at such a fervent rate with such a fervent, not temper, not temper probably, is because we haven't had them for too long. And so I want to talk to you today about all life being sacred. 
And I'm going to make two points. The first one is this. All life is sacred because sacred life breathed into it. All life is sacred. Listen, why I'm telling you this, I'm, I'm having these conversations so that you can have these conversations. Please take notes. My job primarily as the shepherd of this house is twofold, to take care of you and to equip you. This is an equipping you. Write it down. Sacred life breathed into it. God breathed into man and created him in his own image, according to Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the sky and of the cattle and over all the earth and every other creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This scripture declares two truths. One, the hierarchy of creation and the reason for that hierarchy. The second half of this verse explains the hierarchy. God gave us dominion over the earth. You know why all life is sacred? Because it's set apart. You know what it's set apart to do? It's set apart to steward that which God created. To have dominion over that which God created. And we are sinful. And we don't steward it the way that we should. You want to know why sin? Besides the fact, and it's the prominent fact, besides the fact that sin is so bad because it's divine rebellion to God, but you want to know why, in addition to that, sin is such a bad thing? Because we have been given, given dominion over the earth. We are royal, supposed to be loyal representatives of the nature of God to creation. And every time we sin, this is what we say to the creation we've been given stewardship over. This is what God looks like. Think about your kids. You've been given stewardship over your kids. Every time you do something that you shouldn't say or something you shouldn't do, they think that's what God looks like. All of creation is the same way. And we take this responsibility lightly. We should be ashamed. The worst thing and the best thing about telling someone you're a Christian is that they're going to believe you. And then they're going to watch you. And if you don't act according to what this Bible says you should act like, they're going to think that's what God looks like. All life is sacred because we represent the sacred. But not only do we represent the sacred, we're capable of doing it because there's a reason. Because we've been created in His image. The first part of that says, and God said, let us, of course, He's, he's engaging the Trinity, make man in our image, again engaging the Trinity, according to our likeness. We're sacred because we carry a less than nature of God. I don't want you to think that you're, I need to say this out loud. You're not God. And under normal circumstances, up till a few years ago, I would have never told you that. It seems like it would be reasonable. But a large portion of evangelical society has began teaching that because the Spirit of God lives in you 
And because the Spirit of God is divine, you must be divine. You're not divine. You're not God. You're not a little God. A big God just happens to live inside of you. But we've been created in his image. Now, that doesn't mean I, God looks like me. Because then he certainly wouldn't be perfect. The Bible says that God is spirit. And so we use this throughout Scripture. You hear stuff like he has an eye, the righteous right hand, all of these things. These are anthropomorphic, and I know that's a big word, but these are anthropomorphic understandings, descriptions, which means these are descriptions using the nature of man so that we can relate to something that otherwise our finite minds wouldn't be able to relate to. When the Bible says God's eye watches over all the earth, he doesn't have an actual eye. He's spirit. He can't be in one place. He's in all places. But we are like God in regard, but less than his non-physical nature. Mentally, socially, and morally. We have the ability to rationally think we're capable of making choices. We have the ability to design and build from imagination. Let me, let me be quite frank with you. We have the ability to design and build. We do not have the ability to create. Oh, we're going to create some atmosphere. You ain't creating nothing. You're not a creator. God gave you a portion of him and who he was so that you can use the imagination that he's placed inside of you to build, but nothing has ever been made except that it's been made from things that God created. But we still carry that building imagination that God has. Socially, we were created for fellowship because God is triune. He is in fellowship with himself and has been for all of eternity. We've been created like him for fellowship, not just with him, but with one another. People say, I don't need church. You don't need church. You're missing one of the most significant things that God gave you by creating you in his nature, in his image. And that is the ability to fellowship one with the other. And morally, we are created in righteousness and perfect innocence, just as God is righteous and perfect. That's how we were created. But we now know because of the sin of Adam and Eve, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know why? Because we don't represent God the way that we should which is the very nature of our sin nature. But God, through Christ Jesus, has the ability and desire to restore us back to righteousness and perfect innocence. Praise God. So for these two reasons, life is sacred. Life is sacred because we're created in his image and because we've been set apart as stewards of the creation he, he made. God knows and is intimately familiar with life is another reason why life is sacred. That's, that's part of the first point, so there's only actually two points in this sermon, but just know it's not just because God created us in his own image and gave us dominion, but it's because he knows us. 
from the point of conception. Did you know the Bible tells us that he knew you before you were born? That he had planned for your salvation from the foundations of the earth? And so if I can prove through Scripture, which we've already determined to be objective, not subjective, that God knew you from the moment of inception, then that means you must be life at the moment of inception, and to kill anything that life is, that has life in it is murder. Speaking very pointedly against abortion. And I can do that out of chapters 139 of Psalms. And some of y'all, oh yeah, I know this verse, but listen to me. Verse 13, for you, that's capital Y, you as in God, formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. That's pre-birth. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. To destroy something that God created wonderfully is sinful. And my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Guess what that secret is? That's that moment of conception. You were made in secret behind closed doors. And God knew you from that moment. And if he knew you from that moment, he had a plan for you in that moment. You are sacred in that moment, set apart in that moment. You are life and skillfully wrought me in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. So, going back. God knew you while you were in your mother's womb. He knew you from that secret moment. He knew you and had a plan for your salvation from the foundations of the earth. Let me tell you, to take the life which has happened at conception and destroy the plan of God, which happened from the foundations of the earth, is sinful and is murder and should be spoken against loudly and proudly by those that belong to God. Because as I said, Exodus 20, 13, very pointedly says, thou shalt not murder. But Jesus had something to add to this. I love Jesus. Y'all love Jesus? But he freaks me out. Because he's always saying, listen, you can't do this. But let me funnel that down to what that really means. And then challenges us even at a greater level. So where the book of Exodus tells us, thou shalt not murder, chapter 5 of Matthew 21 and 22 say this. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder which we've already established, conception is the point of life, conception is the point of murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Did y'all catch that? Jesus is so serious about life and our protection of it, our stewardship of it, that he says, don't just not commit murder, 
physically, but when you tell someone that you hate them, when you act this way, you are just as obligated to hell as the person who took a knife to someone else and killed them. Why? Because life belongs to him. He made it, and who are we to be arrogant enough to think that we have the right to remove it? That's a good question. That's a good, that's a good word right there. It should challenge us. Not challenge us. Most of us in this room, or I hope all of us in this room, are pro-life. That's why I'm equipping you. So you could go talk to somebody that's not. Oh man, they're gonna they're gonna say some crazy stuff to me. They are. What are they gonna do? Worst thing they can do, flip you upside down, saw you in half. You ain't gonna be the first person in history that happened to. Oh man, that's horrible. Yes. What are you willing to give up to glorify the God that gave up everything to save you? But they are gonna have hard things, and you need to have an answer for them. I've got four things that people will ask or argue in regard to abortion. These are the four primaries, the things that I hear most often. And I want to give you the argument and then I want to give you the answer so that you can make that answer. Give an answer for your hope. Argument one, if a child's going to suffer when it's born because it can't be taken care of, isn't it right to abort it? You guys have heard this? Well, that mother's poor. She's not going to be able to take care of that child. That child's going to suffer. I'm going to ask you to just make argument out of reason and say this. So by your understanding, we should also murder everyone that is poor because they're not living to your standard. But not just everyone that is poor, but everyone that is physically handicapped because they're not living according to the standards you think they should live by. And not just those who are physically handicapped, but those who are mentally handicapped because they may not even be able to take care of themselves. And if they can't take care of themselves, then they won't have the life that they deserve. And so whatever life they have, you have a lawful right to take from them. Is this what you're telling me? And all of them, because all of them base their understanding from a liberal ideology where they think the government themselves or someone else should take precedence will almost always say, well, no, that's not what I'm saying, when in fact, that's exactly what they're saying. Argument number two. They aren't a person. There's no life in them. They are just a clump of cells. You guys heard that? They're just a clump of cells. What does it matter if you get rid of them? Again, make your argument from reason. Look at them right in their face and say, so are you. <laughs> at some point, this clump of cells that is microscopic will become a clump of cells that isn't microscopic. They will become a clump of cells that becomes identifiable as a human that will at some point be birthed, that will at some point fulfill its purpose. But just because it's a clump of cells doesn't mean there is no life in it. In fact, the very presence of cells is the truth of life. Because if I go to Mars, find one cell, everybody in the science community is going to be, oh, there's life on Mars. But we don't say the same thing about a mother's womb. 
It's a clump of cells. Say, yes, you're right. Good job with the science. But it's actually the reason why you shouldn't kill it. Argument number three. You have no right to tell a woman what to do with her body. And they're right. I don't have a right to tell a woman what to do with her body. Do whatever you want to with your body. It's your body. But a baby ain't your body. That baby has a completely different DNA than you have. Unless you were born with two heads, that's not your body. Four arms, that's not your body. Four legs, two hearts, four lungs, that's not your body. That's a body you've been given stewardship and responsibility over. It's not a reason to kill it. And besides that, those same people that would tell you that, if they saw a woman on the side of the road about to stab herself to death, would try to stop her. Well, what do you care what she does with her own life? It's hypocritical. But none of these arguments stand up against Scripture or reason. And since they're blind to the truth of the Word of God because the Spirit hasn't drawn them, we can def still defeat these by reason. And then finally this one. My own life is in danger if I try to give birth. Doctor told me. Matter of fact, this would be the reason Planned Parenthood will tell you over and over and over again why they exist. We're medical care for women. Women come here, they don't have any other alternative. They could die if they have this baby. Let me tell you something. A woman's four times more likely to die driving her car than in pregnancy. But she still made the decision to get in her car. We need to understand that it's our responsibility to have an answer for them. You're gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you in regard to this last argument. When people say, "My own life is in danger if I try to give birth," I ask this question: If two people are on the edge of a cliff and you only have chance to save one of them. Is the fact you didn't save one of them murder? And I ask you the same question, is it? No, you saved a life. You didn't murder a life. Right? But you need to add to that equation that you have been called to steward something above yourself. And when you choose that which that yourself over that which God gave you to steward, that is murder. Well, I could die. Do you trust the Lord? Do you trust that Psalms 139 says, before you lived your first day, he knew how many days you would live? Because if you do, you have a responsibility to life. If you die, I'm, I don't want you to die. But if you die, the Bible's clear. He knew the number of your days before you lived the first one. Trust the Lord.
pray in faith. It's amazing how many of these children that were supposed to kill their mama didn't. And when I say supposed to kill their mama, supposed to kill their mama, according to those that would kill that baby, ended up not dying at all. Amen? Trust the Lord, but have a reason. Have a, be ready with an answer. Number two, all life is sacred because sacred life was given to redeem it. Do you remember when I told you at the very beginning, we're pro-life. No matter what stage of development, that is birth or up to birth or age, all life is sacred. And Jesus Christ died to redeem us. That makes our life sacred, our life significant. Our life is worth the sacrifice that he gave. And so we should pay attention to that. Can I tell you, things that happen, abortion, things that happen in places like Planned Parenthood aren't new to history. If you've never heard of Molech, I encourage you to go read it about it in Scripture. You won't find much other than God says, don't do that. Don't, don't sacrifice your children to the God of Molech, small g, because that Molech is an idol. And let me talk to you about who Molech is. Molech was a handmade deity, an idol by its very definition, of a man with a cow's head seated. And his hands were cupped together like this, and heated bright red. In being heated bright red, the mother would come and place that child, sacrifice, in the hands of Molech and allow that child to literally be burned to death. Why? Because Molech was the God of fulfillment. Molech was the God that took care of them, that grew the crops, that made sure the rain happened. Molech was the one that sustained life according to their understanding. It was a false, false idol. And so to get this fulfillment that they were looking for, they would sacrifice what was most precious to them or what should have been most precious to them when in fact, turns out, the thing that's most precious to them is their own fulfillment. This is the world we're living in. You want to know why people are... The vast majority of people are, doing, are committing abortion because they concern themselves with their own fulfillment. They want themselves to be satisfied. I don't want to have to take care of a child. I'm in college. I don't, I don't have time to raise a child. I, don't, I can't do this. I can't do that. And so they sacrifice at the altar of fulfillment a child. But let me tell you what happens. That child goes into those burning hands and begins to burn. And all the way around Molech, if you'll study it, there are drummers, great big bass drums. And the louder that baby screams, the harder they hit that drum. The louder the baby screams, the harder they hit that drum. And then they hit that drum. And then they hit that drum until ultimately the drum dry, drowns out the cries of that child. Because they understand if the mother ever hears that child cry or ever comes under an understanding of what's happening to that child, the probability that another mother's going to bring a baby is slim and none. Now let me draw a parallel for you from there to here. We 
sacrifice our children at the altar of our own fulfillment. And we beat the drums. If you go to an abortion clinic, they're going to tell you, stand on the sidewalk, you don't need to talk to them. They're beating the drum so that you can't tell them the truth. Then they put a fence up so you can't get to them. And then they make that fence to where you can't see through it so you can't even see them. They're beating the drum. Then, when all of that doesn't work, they get volunteers to come out and escort the mother into the abortion clinic to drown out the voice that you have because they don't want the mother to hear what's happening to their child. They get an ultrasound. They won't let the mother see the ultrasound because to see the ultrasound, you physically see that that child is being ripped to pieces and sucked into a tube. A life, not a clump of cells, a life is being destroyed, and they beat the drum. That's what happens. That's the drum that we have grown accustomed to hearing. Sadly, that drum has become a white noise in our ear. And it shouldn't be. You know why? Because Jesus Christ died to redeem all life. Jesus Christ came down from heaven, according to the word of God, lived, sacrificed himself, allowed himself to be chained, whipped, dragged across through the streets of Golgotha, nailed to that same cross, blasphemed, have a spear cast into his side so that we might be redeemed. And what I mean by that is that we might be bought back from the enemy, now belonging to God. Because God determined all life was sacred enough and worthy enough to be long to him for all of eternity. Jesus Christ, through all of that, redeemed us and then justified us. I love that. I tell you all the time, Jesus' blood didn't cover your sin. Now, that's a Southern tradition thing, I think. Jesus, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood is so powerful, it didn't cover anything. It chiseled it off the stone of your heart. That indictment against you no longer exists. It's not covered up. If it's covered up, it can be uncovered. You're justified. God, it's not that you didn't, God forgot it, although he did. It's as though that didn't ever exist at all because he sees the value in your life. And it's time the church starts recognizing the value in other lives too and speaking up for it. Amen? We have to get to a place where we first acknowledge our own shortcomings so that we might help others with theirs. Because Jesus Christ died that all life might be saved.